There's a great scene in The Godfather towards the end where uh, Michael Corleone has to tell, the leader of the Corleone family, has to tell Tom Hagen, his consigliere, that he's fired. And he does so by saying, you're not a wartime consigliere, Tom. Things are about to get rough. And he meant by that he was planning the murders of the other members of the five families. Um, but it's, it's a very useful moment. And a, a very good author, Ben Horowitz, who's uh, David Horowitz's son, wrote a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And he came up with this distinction about between wartime CEOs and peacetime CEOs. So a peacetime CEO is someone who's leading a company with a, an effective monopoly, something like Google in the early 2000s, where they have a monopoly on search, they're just you know, able to control the market, and they're you know, making, you know, you're making long-term plans, you're keeping everybody happy, it's a, it's a simpler job. A, a wartime CEO, conversely, is one who's in a win-or-die situation, um, where they're just in a market, they have to compete, they're facing a direct competitor, if they lose, they lose, they're probably going bankrupt. And it just, it requires a completely different skill set, a completely different attitude. And so in an article I wrote about three years ago against peacetime conservatism, I talked about what I think see as a distinction between you know, a peacetime and a wartime policy agenda, affect, attitude. Um, but it comes down to you know, realizing that what, we're not really in a peaceful environment with a Democratic Party, and I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, you Just two basic examples right off the top of your head. Uh, Joe Biden's speech last week, the Red Sermon, was uh, <laughs> remarkable in its um, hostility, not just towards um, other politicians, but towards Trump voters, MAGA Republicans. I mean, he'd probably characterize everybody in this room that way, unless you're one of the members of the press who agrees with him. Um, so uh, that's, that's very rare. Even, I mean, President Trump never talked about the Democrat voters in that way, ever. Um, and it's an indication that, you know, our movement, if we do not prevail in some political sense, we're going to get squashed. Um, the other is, I think, the way that the national security state is mobilizing against former President Trump is, is a remarkable statement of intent that uh, we want to see your movement crushed. Um, and it's, you know, there's a whole cottage industry of lawyers trying to rationalize it, but I think it's absolute nonsense and w wouldn't have happened even 10 years ago in a more peacetime political environment. Um, so given that we're in this kind of wartime environment where our, our movement is going to be in a winner-die mode, it's not just about you know, what is the ideal policy outcome that we can achieve, but more it's about if we retake power, which I certainly hope we do, what, what can we do to make that durable? And so there's, there's kind of three things that I, I sort of identify as a big part of it. The first is the willingness to use government power to achieve conservative ends. I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of self-defeating principles. I mean, the simplest one is open borders that leads to um, a, essentially a, a massive change in the com composition of the electorate that means you lose. That's, that's a classic self-defeating type of principle. Um, and it's not always going to be coterminous with national conservatism, and it's also not always going to be what you talk about when you're trying to speak to voters about winning. It, it often is, though. Um, to, you know, you got to give conservative base voters a lot of credit. What they care about are what I would call meta-political issues, that is, issues that control the resolution of other issues. So things like election integrity, courts, immigration, those are all things that don't just have impacts of their own, but they control how other issues ultimately are resolved. Um, the second thing is a, a, a very deep pragmatism. I was, I was joking earlier that I'm like a Deng Xiaoping conservative, right? I don't care if the, the cat is white or black so long as it kills mice. Um, and I think that that's like a deep sense of let's, let's do what works is important. Um, and so that's it. Use, use government power to achieve conservative ends, be pragmatic, 
and prior, you know, have some prioritization of, of metapolitical issues. And so for on the pol specific policy things I'm going to recommend, I'm going to kind of focus on three areas that um, some of which I've focused on and so I think that I think are very important. Um, the first is civil service reform and FDI DOJ reform. I'm only going to talk a little bit about that because I don't want to, you know, step on Julie's toes too much. Um, the second is big tech and, and censorship. And the third is the universities, where we may or may not talk about seizing the endowments. Um, so first, uh, civil service reform. I think we're, we're coming to realize that the, one of the big problems is that President Trump didn't have control of the federal government. And if we actually want to do anything, we, we need to bring the bureaucracy to heal. So something that President Trump was starting to do and his administration was starting to do was uh, a reform called Schedule F, which would make a slew of civil servants um, more easily fired. That's good. They need more and more of the bureaucracy needs to be directly accountable to the president. Um, I also propose that something that be added to that agenda is pushing for the repeal of a case called Morrison v. Olson and a case called Humphrey's Executor. Those are two cases that constrain the removal power of the president. That's the ability to fire someone. Right? There, there are certain agencies, the FTC, and I think the FCC as well, where the president doesn't have complete plenary firing authority. It's constrained by Congress. I don't think, one, I don't think that's constitutional because I think all executive power is vested in the president. So the idea that he would be constrained from firing a federal employee seems wrong to me. Um, but second, I think it's, it's, it's what allows for this world where you have the executive branch not essentially doing, doing what it will against the White House. And, and I think it's bi a big thing is to get out of the idea that there should be independent government agencies. That means progressive government agencies, right, that are un invulnerable to democratic politics. Um, and I realize it's a Supreme Court case, so it might not seem obvious about how to make that a governing agenda, but it's pretty straightforward. Uh, a President Trump or DeSantis in 2024 should just start firing members of these independent agencies that he nominally doesn't have the right to fire and then just start a case that way. Like, I want these people gone. And, and I honestly think that there's a good chance that the current composition of the court might agree. Um, when Morrison v. Olson was decided, Antonin Scalia wrote a solo dissent where he said that was the case about the independent counsel law. Um, and he wrote a solo dissent saying, you're not allowed to take, this is a classic executive power, the ability to prosecute. You're not allowed to take that um, from the president. And uh, it's, it, this, you know, this wolf comes as a wolf. Um, that would be, uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, getting that overturned would be very, very powerful in terms of allowing the president to control the government and do what we want them to do in terms of everything national conservative. Um, second, um, tech. Uh, tech is an obvious uh, metapolitical issue. It just, because that's where the public square is. It's where we all speak. And so the ability of tech companies to constrain how you speak and what, what ideas you're allowed to express um, is a way in which the downstream political debate is controlled. Um, I've, I've long thought that the way we should conceptualize your ability to speak on Facebook, Twitter, is as a kind of civil right. Um, and that is to say that because civil rights are essentially where we say that a, a right guaranteed by the Constitution is so important that we're not even going to allow private companies to violate it either. I mean, think about there's a constitutional right against non-discrimination. That prohibits the government from engaging in racial discrimination. So. The civil right is to say private companies can't do that either. Um, and so then we can also just import First Amendment law, treat somebody like Facebook or Twitter as essentially governed by the First Amendment. Um, I think it's, it's also important to, I think the best way to instantiate that is with something called, that's called a private right of action, 
which is the ability of a wronged or banned user to go to court and sue if they are deplatformed and essentially have, you, you create a new tort um, that Facebook or Twitter would have violated in that instance. And then they could walk into court, not just you know, win damages and an injunction to get their accounts back, but also uh, what's uh, a statutory damages, like penalty. So, and, and attorney's fees as well, so it's worth, worth the money to do so. Um, one quick thing on tech, I think in general, the discourse around it is a little too focused on trying to fix Section 230. There is actually an underlying value to Section 230 that's, that's important to preserve, which is the ability of these companies not to be completely thrown into permanent liability. Um, and also the problem with reforming Section 230 is that it doesn't actually redress the harm suffered by the victim, right? If you repeal Section 230, you're saying we're going to expose these companies to defamation liability. But that's a third party who wasn't wronged by having their account banned. So why, why it's not actually resolving the problem of the person who's being wronged and having their speech violated. Um, you know, I, I don't want to see tech destroyed, but the, the key thing to remember is if the pragmatic view is we want to get tech and the social media space back to where it was in 2016 when President Trump used it to win and when the MAGA movement um, really sort of built itself up online. Because prior to that, we were you know, shut out by the gatekeepers of the mainstream media. So it's not that we want to get rid of tech, we want to just force tech to go back to the way it was. And then finally on issues is the universities. So um, I'm not sure I want to send all university graduates into the military because that might make the military more woke than it currently is. <laughs> but you're on the right track. And I mean, it might be the most important metapolitical issue in a sense. It, it structures how our young people come to think and the environment they inhabit and how they think in later life. There's a, a very savvy lefty political consultant named David Shore, who I like because he's, he's one of these people who's himself very pragmatic. I mean, he's a, he's a crazy lefty on the actual issues, but what he keeps telling Democratic politicians is to say things that are popular and stop talking about immigration because the public doesn't agree with us. Like, that's, that's his message to politicians to get them elected. He's a very savvy, smart guy. And one of the things he points out is that the big structural advantage that Democrats have, it's not money, it's not, like, you know, in terms of class, but it's they do much better among the college educated. And I think there are a number of obvious reasons for that. Um, and not the ones that the liberals would like to believe themselves to make them feel good. Um, the first is that college is just an inherently liberalizing environment. Not only are you being indoctrinated in this woke nonsense, um, but you're also surrounded by people your own age, disconnected from your family. I think uh, Hadar, your own son, actually had a great Twitter thread of all things, where he explained that it's an extremely alienating, bizarre experience, doesn't reflect real life, and it disconnects people um, from their family, from their roots. And, uh, and then also it creates debt peons, right? That's a great way to create people who are deep, deeply resentful. Um, now, obviously, a lot of people are really angry about Biden's reform or Biden's debt forgiveness, but I think, I don't want you to just be angry about it, I want you to see it as an opportunity because you don't cancel debt that isn't fraudulent, right? And not, he didn't just cancel, you know, the debt from the for-profit colleges that, you know, is always shady. He canceled 10,000 of everybody's debt, which means that every college loan should be presumably seen to be fraudulent. Um, and odious is actually a good word. Like when we cancel debt from foreign countries because they were ran by a dictator, it's odious debt. So I like using the phrase seize the endowments even though I don't necessarily think it's the only the policy I would actually advocate because I want to dishonor the universities. I want to remind people that the debt that they have is fraudulent and that what the product they're producing isn't worth what we're paying for it. 
And then in terms of actual policy changes, I think the, the way to really go at the heart of the universities and really change how they operate is to think about, well, what is, why does everybody have to go to college? Is it because colleges are training people to be excellent thinkers and writers? No, they're not doing that. Kids come out of college and they can't write at all. Um, or there's no guarantee that they'll be able to write an essay of a thousand words. Um, so, so then what is it doing? Well, it's the credential. It's, it's getting your ticket stamped. Um, it's you know, showing that you can you know, sit in place for four years. Um, but that's not even really that valuable, and obviously employers would love to be able to use things like competency tests and, and other things. So what, what if and, uh, you changed employment law, because there's already a bunch of laws about what you're allowed to ask your employees. What if you changed employment law and said it's now illegal to ask or offer information about your college degree when you're trying to get a job, or it's illegal for employers to do that? Maybe you couldn't do it for all employers, but maybe you could just do it for the federal government. That would really change how federal employment would work. Um, but I think it would dramatically change the way colleges operate. Um, but the, in general, the idea is, I mean, there, there can be some value to the university system, and certainly, I mean, you, you watch something like Alabama UT, and you think this is something that really can do a lot to foster conservatism. Um, but in, you want to get rid of that credentialing system, and you also want to make sure that you recognize that there is a real harm suffered by kids who are being defrauded, especially by these liberal arts departments. You know, going, you know, we don't, if any other product in any other industry, if we gave 18-year-olds, if there was an industry that was giving 18-year-olds, uh, making them take out 200 grand in debt for their product and had like a 50% success rate, the FTC would shut it down. Um, we, should, we should view colleges the same way and view them as fraudulent. And if we can actually do something about, I mean, this is, this is easily the hardest area to do something about from like a governing agenda perspective, but uh, Pre Governor DeSantis is on the right track. He had a new policy where he was going to make it easier for veterans to be teachers without actually having their college degree yet, but it was too cautious. They still have to complete their college degree. Like, we, we want to get to a point where uh, we look, we allow for competent people to avoid college, get training, um, and not have to go through an indoctrination system that entirely supports, as, as Peter Thiel described, um, the, the lefty middle class of administrators. Um, and so that's what I think we should do.